Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. Haley, thank you so much for doing this, man. This is uh, this is super dope for me. I've been following you for a really long time, and this is really exciting to get to sit down and talk to you about your career and your music. And thank you for coming to do the show. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was uh, it was right on the way to our show in New York City, so <laughs> it was an easy stop. And I, I really appreciate you reaching out. You know, absolutely. How bad was uh, was traffic coming from Richmond? My brother in law lives down there, and I find when I get on ninety five, it's just hell on wheels all you the know, time. You know, we well we played in Virginia Beach last night. And then we got ahead of the curve, and we drove to Ocean City, Maryland. Oh, so there you we go. were drove to Delaware. So we skipped uh, we skipped that whole <laughs> thing that whole that Washington yeah. D.C. Oh my God, the Beltway, oh, dude! It's so bad. So let's let's. I want to start in the beginning and kind of talk about when did you know that you were going to make a career out of music? Like, what was the catalyst for that? Well, I mean, I was. Uh, I was really young. My my mom and dad were both musicians, and uh, I remember getting a guitar uh, for Christmas when I was eight years old. And I mean, it wasn't. It was you know maybe by the time I was ten or eleven, I was like madly in love with creating and writing songs. And right. I, I mean, I really was convinced at that point in time that this is pretty much <laughs> what I wanted to do. Right. Right. So I've I've it's it's wild to think about it but i've really been on this path since i was that old and and i really consider that to be my gift the gift that i knew that i loved this and was encouraged by my parents that like yeah this is a viable option to devote your life to uh, that's which great. is really special that's that, un that's unique in a lot of ways because most parents of musicians that i know and 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 i know we can probably both attest to this we know people who are like don't do that go to school and be totally. a <laughs> go to school and be a teacher don't do music do whatever anything yeah, else but music yeah you know 20 looking back 25 years i was talking to this lady <laughs> the other night at the venue i was like you know i've been doing this you know Trying, trying to do this professionally for 25 years, I was like, I could have three PhDs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could be... You, yeah, I, yeah, I, you could have all of this time to, yeah, to have done other things, other but things. instead you focused on this, yeah. and I think that's amazing. Like, you, you knew what you wanted right away. You went for it. Now, I know when I, when, I, when I listen back to your music, the best way to describe your voice, which is just unbelievable, um, it's a lot like what Claudio Sanchez of Code Heed and Cambria would sound like <laughs> so. if he did a... Barrington Levy album. And uh, that to me I is love like. Claudio. 
<laughs> I think that was the best way I could describe your voice and your sound. Because really, like when I listen to your records, there's a lot of different influences in yeah. there. Like I've noticed, like obviously reggae is a huge sound. Um, there's a lot of the southern soul in there. Um, I've also noticed some bluegrass. And even some gospel in there. Totally. Like I, I remember one of the, the songs on the newest album, which we'll talk about. See, and to me, all those worlds are the same. So right. I don't they even all... think I don't even I don't even see a lot of that. I just think of uh, you know I just see how all these styles of music sort of come out of each other and are a part of each other. And I, I think in those terms versus uh, you know separating them all. I really do. And and that's when I write a song. It's just like whatever. I usually te- I, well, and I usually test it out. I usually play it in a like country vibe, and then I, if I play it in a country vibe and a reggae vibe, and then right. a punk rock vibe, and it still feels like a good song, <laughs> then I know it's a good song. Right, right. You know? Tell me a little bit about your influences. I know uh, you were heavily influenced by the ska and the skateboard scene. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, it was it's a little funny because I'm in rural Texas, and uh, parents are both musicians. And, you know, uh, growing up, there wasn't much of a counterculture where I lived. Okay. It, was, it was predominantly country, bluegrass, and blues in Texas and the area I lived. My dad played blues and a little bit of rock and roll. But, um, you know, want, being the type of person that I am and reaching out for something different and, and creative expression with the way that I dressed and the way that I felt, I gravitated towards skateboard culture because that was a little bit of the counterculture that did exist and through skateboard culture and punk rock music I sort of went down that road and that led to ska and that sort of led to reggae right right you start discovering all those worlds yeah Yeah. and my my mom and dad definitely listened to a little bit of Bob Marley but I'd always considered Bob Marley in the same vein as like Sam Cooke, like oldies. Right, you know what I'm right, saying? Yeah. It was my mom and dad's music. They well, listened because to they're clean. so. It's I and mean, it in our so minds, old. Yeah, it's so it long ago. It yeah. wasn't like Pearl Jam. You know what I'm saying? Like to <laughs> right. me, like at the time, you know, and that's when I grew up as you know Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, and then you know No Effects, uh, Rancid. Uh, Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, right? right. All, the, um, all the classics. No now, use right? for a yeah. name, and and it, it like it went to this sort of nice little flow, and I, it flowed back. It went from you know rock and roll, punk rock. So started blues, then rock and roll, punk rock, ska, reggae, and then sort of back to my roots with like realizing how much I love the southern influence right. of music, and how much of that southern influence is in all of the rock and roll and the blues and. You know, so I mean, that's where it sort of, uh, that's where it began as it far the as how, right how, how I got to reggae. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I've never, you know, I'm, I, I definitely don't consider myself a reggae artist whatsoever. I play a lot of reggae festivals and a lot of reggae shows. I think too, but like you said, I like, I like the idea of not. I don't want to say pigeonholing because I'm not sure that's the right word, but it's the idea of classifying just overgeneralizing. Yourself. Right, yeah, because you're just, right. There's a you're lot limiting of... what people think that you are, and well, when, because, when someone yeah. comes and sees you, right. and they have that idea right. of what you are, and then they see this this chubby dude from Texas that don't have dreadlocks and isn't saying Ja Rastafari, you know, and it's like, <laughs> like this ain't reggae, right? right. Like, who's it this throws guy? them off, right. you know. You 
can take all you need No mistakes of greed What you give is what you're worth to the world You can give your time Share a smiling line Cause a little bit of love goes a long way It's, I mean, it, it is cool. And I think that's what I want to tie into too is, is, um, is, uh, America's Got Talent because that's, that was your big sort of uh, claim to fame a couple of years ago. Um, 13. 13. Has it really been 13 <laughs> years already? 13. I will, and I'm telling you, and, and I, and I know I sound like a total fanboy right now, but I will never forget the first time I heard this man sing. Um, I was in my ex-girlfriend's living room and we were watching the show and obviously every, I don't know anyone who isn't a David Hasselhoff fan, but, um, <laughs> You know, they introduce him and, you know, I'm Cass Haley and, you know, from Texas and he comes out and he goes into um, an acoustic version of Walking on the Moon by Sting. And like I can't – like it was just like I felt 
I think everybody who watched that felt like how Hasselhoff reacted. Like, were you <laughs> were you surprised by their reactions? Were you taken back? I mean, kind I was of definitely me. surprised by their act reactions. I mean, you got to understand where my mind was when I was even be, even being there. Right, I didn't, that was like I a, didn't, that was like a thing that your friend had set you yeah, up with. Right? Yeah, it was sort of just a happy accident, you know. And, and uh, I was unsure about. I was unsure about it, and going up to the actual audition, I was really unsure about it because I had met all these wonderful people in the the sort of preliminary sort of rounds before they they uh, te televised this round, and I'd met all these wonderful people that got bashed, wonderful right, musicians right. that would go out there that I thought were wonderful, they would go out on stage and they would just be destroyed. And so what happened with me? I really thought. That I was about to put myself out there to get, you know, impelled by these people that had no business judging me because well, not a to, one of yeah. them really was that talented. Well, the, here's the yeah, here's the judges were Pierce Morgan. Yeah, I still can't really explain that one. Um, Sharon Osbourne, who I feel like would be out of the three of them, the most qualified, the most qualified to make sure. a judgment, and then the Hoff. Yeah. So, and, and I have to say this about about the three judges, I absolutely like. And fell in love with all three of them. Really? Being on the show for several months during the summer and being around them a lot. They all three were super nice, super normal, in my opinion. Right. And David Hasselhoff, probably the most surprising of the three, he's more likable in person. And it's like he's not he it's almost like when the camera turns on, he flips the switch. Right. He really wasn't he, he really wasn't that annoying and he wasn't like <laughs> what he's sort of been sort of labeled as and what he plays right. into. You know, he plays he, into he that. He plays that character dude, right. Like man to man, the dude's charming, super likable. That's awesome. And he's engaging and he's present. And uh same way with Sharon. She's real loving and she cares and they all just seemed um like just normal people, really. Right. Which, right. And and most of all, Jerry Springer. I was gonna say Jerry Springer, he was the host of the show at the time. Dude right. is always the same. Yeah. That dude has one face, he's Jerry Springer, on and off camera. <laughs> Great guy. We actually so I went and met Jerry Springer um at we or I was I did a radio show in college. We were going to the radio station and they took us to, to see Springer and Steve Wilkos at a taping. Awesome. And Springer was like Super cool, man. Like he was just a super jolly dude. And yep. it was like, wow, this is – I didn't expect to meet someone like this. You know, I have this – I guess uh, people Especially have a with vision. show. Yeah, with the craziness <laughs> that happens on the show. But Well, and like the weatherman syndrome where someone's yeah. like half famous and so like yep. they can't really be present. They're always looking in the mirror at themselves. It's like the, <laughs> if you've ever met any weathermen, yeah, you know what I mean? The same, they have yep. this like weird sort of uh -huh. thing where they're stuck in the space between presence <laughs> and like fame or something. You know, that's amazing. So it's the weird. first time I've, I've heard a, that, but I know I know exactly what you're talking about. I've met about, a yeah. lot of weathermen and morning <laughs> show people. I'm sure, yeah, doing the rounds with the show. So, yeah. so you do walking on the moon, you blow everybody away, and then you go through an entire sort of segment of covers on the show. Um, one of the best being your cover of Sir Duke by CV Wonder, which was just absolutely unbelievable. Um, if you don't listen to anything else today, I want you to go on YouTube or find this song wherever it is. It is like. You are as close to Stevie Wonder performance as I think I have ever heard. And I think it's still, 13 years later, criminal that you didn't win the contest. So Thanks. when you're going through that, I mean, and that's not a, that's not a slam on Terry Fader or no, anything about dude. him, but I just feel like you had, an, you had this, you have a natural gift, you have a natural propensity 
with what you do, and it comes off so flawlessly and effortlessly, it was surprising to me to see that result. How surprised were you when you heard that you, or let me say, let me rephrase, how, what was it like going through the processes every week and continuing? I didn't think about winning till right before. So like right at the day Right, Right before, I didn't think about winning till they said, Right before they said Terry Fader. Wow, like really? It was. It was. It. Re- I really didn't, man. I just. Um, I just tried not to go there. I makes conne- sense. I had connected with all the people that were in the top ten. Really, everybody that was on the show. I mean, I made lifelong connections with Butterscotch, who was third place. Yes, Butterscotch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. She's, uh, in my opinion, she's a world. She's the beatboxer, world right? class singer songwriter, beatboxer. Yeah. She's a beatboxer. Yeah, You're yeah. right. She's like. I mean, she's like one of the best. Yeah. Uh, but that's just the, the tip of the, the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. Wow. But um, yeah, man. You know, it was uh, it was interesting at that point in my life when when they said, "Hey, you know, you didn't win." Terry Fader won. I was okay. I was a little. I was. I could see in the eyes of some of my family members that they, they were really hoping. <laughs> they were hoping really for that million bucks. bucks they sure. could take a loan out. You know? <laughs> hey, Cass, I need a couple bucks, but, man. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I was doing better at that point. I was doing better than I'd ever had because I right. had online merchandise for sale from my band, and so we had generated, you know, like um, some pretty good money during that time. So I was like feeling really like. You know, I got I got ten thousand dollars in the bank. I was like, you know, <laughs> that's like great. more yeah. than I ever had. I felt rich, you know. Um, so it really didn't bother me none. And, and uh, they said right during, right after the show, they're like, we're exercising all our legal options. See, that would be terrifying to me. And I know that that's, was a little. So it was. It, is it? I, maybe I'm probably going to butcher this, but it, is it? Is it Simon Cowell's label? Is it called Psycho? Yeah, it is. Wow, right, Psycho. Really? S Y C O. That is kind of off-putting in a lot of different ways, but not surprising. So they they exercised their option to do like 100 albums with you, right? It was a five-album deal. But they wanted you essentially to just do these cover records, right? Well, man, you know, looking back on it, I mean, what they wanted, they wanted to micromanage, and, and I understand it, it's their investment. They wanted to control uh, what, who and what I was, and how it was presented, and and, right. and and they were introducing me to people that were they would like me to. Uh, that were I took it as they were my writers. Um, at that point, I was such a young singer songwriter that I was not comfortable with. I mean, I didn't. I was. I just didn't know who I was, and I was completely uncomfortable with them introducing me to people that they said were going to write the songs that I was going to sing. Right. I I'm the kind of artist, and it, it might have not have shown on the show because I did all the covers. But my my original music had always been so, like self therapy, and it always came from real life scenarios. And I just couldn't imagine singing songs that I didn't write and that I had no real life experience to be able to to reach into for for the energy of the tune and stuff. You well, know? I remember too. I remember finding because back in the day of LimeWire, you couldn't go e- accessibility wise back then. Um, but I remember discovering Woodbelly, which was your band at the time. Yep. And one of my favorite records, which I think we're going to play today, is I Wish That I. And I remember hearing that record and listening to the lyrics on that and being like, wow, 
this is like I can feel this. Like I I can feel this and I can relate to this in a way that I can't really relate to in other songs, you know. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was really criminal of, uh, in a way, to be like you you're they're gonna box you in. Okay, yeah. yeah well, you're did. the sting guy and you're gonna do. And they sting. really didn't yeah. even know because they never even <laughs> gave they, they didn't right. never even gave me a chance as far as that was like when I, when I played my original songs on the shows. They completely, I mean, they've got their format. They know what people want to hear. And people, honestly, most people don't want to hear songs they don't know. Sure. No, that's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It takes a certain type of open mind to be able to go listen to a singer-songwriter they haven't heard and actually focus on something. So I get where they were going and why they made that decision. And I, luckily, I had the courage to, to... to walk away from that kind of deal. Not because I knew who I was as an artist, but the exact opposite. I knew that I didn't know who I was. Right. And they had a plan for who I was, and that scared they me. They were going to tell you, yeah. Cass Haley, this is who you're going to become. Yeah. Now, I remember I read um, you did the, the South by Southwest panel. Was that, that was 2018? Yeah. And it was about, you know, life after quote unquote reality shows, and that you shut your phone off like the two days after. The you know Terry Fader wins. Changed my number. Changed your telephone number. Were you terrified that they were going to exercise all kinds of legal options to basically yeah, own you? I didn't know what they were going to do, you know. Um, and so the 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 plan was to confuse them. That makes sense. I like. So it I mean, instead of just telling them, "No, I'm not going to do this," because honestly, I was I had signed all these agreements, and um, in my ignorance, and they they. I say that like they really didn't give me uh, a lot of time and like like they would give you a contract and they would say uh, we need this signed and we need it back tomorrow. So they would create a scenario where say a young artist like me who's poor and has no money. It's like how am I am I going to go have legal counsel pay $400 an hour to get them to to review some contract that they're probably not going to change anything so yeah. in my mind I was just like well I'll just sign it cuz I probably it won't matter anyways I didn't <laughs> I didn't think anything would happen right right um yeah you're you probably know. imagining only getting through a couple rounds and yeah, yeah okay cool man, yeah. yeah 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 whatever yeah um, wow. So, you know, one thing led to the next, and then they exercised all their legal options. So not just a record deal. It's like a 360 deal. So they have – Yeah, because yeah. I know that's that's pretty frequent, and I work with some musicians in, in the area here. Which, and it can be and good. In some Dude, scenarios, I mean, someone, I'm sure – If someone wanted to invest in, like, you know, your business and wanted to keep – and and uh, respected the value and what you were doing within your business and was going to invest in it and a three sixty deal can work like a it's like a partnership deal with exactly, music exactly um, but it's one of those things where you know they didn't really want to invest in me they wanted to invest in their investment which their investment was the identity they created for me through exposing that particular side of my personality to right. TV. Right. So that was the difference. Yeah. They you wanted know? to they wanted to create a new version of you yes. yeah. to then sell to the masses yeah. and market. Yeah. And then that, yeah. you know, that's again I think it's I think I know some people that I've spoken to as far as, you know, inside of a three sixty I mean it can be it can ver- be very prosperous and fruitful for and everyone it, involved. And it can be okay to actually even like I'm all about someone pursuing a career as an alter identity and sure. having and like you know Lady Gaga is a good example. Right, like, dude. I think that that can be a wonderful, awesome thing. Yeah, but it's it's for a certain type of person that's consciously going into it that way. So I think there's all kinds of dangers when someone 
is really like um, doesn't understand the psychological complexities of having multiple identities. Yes, like yes. it's it it is it's something that you really need to uh, think through, and it can be super challenging because even with me being on the TV show and just you know having the exposure that I had, I had all these opinions of who I was. Exactly. So and it's it's hard for young artists not to you know, read these opinions and stand in the sure. shadows. And then after a long enough time of standing in the shadows of those opinions, you incorporate that into who you who think you are. you are. Right. And you and become then, someone else. And you, yeah. You, and you, well, you become this fixed identity or who you think people, who, who people, who you think they want you to be. Right. Because, you know, and, and, and so it's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm really thankful that I had the courage to sort of step back and I had always been poor, so I wasn't afraid to be poor. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, once you're there, it's like, if yeah. If anything, maybe I was afraid that. to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah, like Biggie I, says, it's more more money, more problems. I mean, that's, that's I mean, maybe I was, the truest. I was raised that, you know, the, the rich folks were the bad folks. <laughs> <laughs> that Which sounds I, about right. Yeah. I see that it's, that's not the truth. Yo, when you know, you know.
so you so you, you you walk away from it and then you do your self-titled album which is a mixture of some of you know your wood belly because i know i wish that i ended up on that record um and then you did two versions of walking on the moon you did easy by lionel richie yeah. um but it's really sort of this this you know tapestry it was of, supposed to be like a bridge from what the show was to my songs exactly because you, know? you when you when you listen to the self-titled record and then you walk into uh connection which was released in 2010 yeah. on easy star yeah um I can feel the same vibe. It's like almost as if you, when you walk through each of the records, you're, it's like a connecting piece to the next record and the next song that you put out. So I really love, I dig the way that that all kind of flows. Um, uh, how difficult was it for you as far as like clearances, just because I'm, I'm always curious about these kinds of things. Yeah. Did like Sting or Lionel Richie or anyone give you any grief or did their Man, labels it, give you any grief about no, clearing I, the, know, the it's, songs? It's, it's no, I think it's fairly simple. Um, with doing other people's songs like that, there's like what they call, I think it's called a compulsory license. Okay. And um, in some situations, uh, and this is probably, this is a question more for, you know, my lawyer and the label that sort of deals with some of that stuff. But I, I do know a little bit is like there's some scenarios where um, that compul you can't, like you can't, I don't think you can go do a Neil Young song. You know what I mean? Right, like there's right. some of those situations. Well, like but, the Beatles or something like that. Yeah, right, yeah. And, and, and in most scenarios, you can do a compulsory license, you know, um, literally 90% of the stuff. And it's and uh, you don't have to pay it. You just pay, you know, mechanicals. And sometimes there might be a fee or this or that. But I think it was fairly easy. Okay. Um, the the hardest part is just the accounting and making sure it's fine. That's a label thing. The accounting right, so and sales and that, that goes yeah. goes to the artist, you know. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty pretty effortless as far as all that's concerned. So then you do so. Connection comes out that charts on Billboard number two, top two hundred reggae albums. Um, Lassie Da is the next record after that, and that's your last one on Easy Star, right? Yep. Um, what was the decision to leave Easy Star? Was it just Man, a, the time to time to yeah, change? I, dude, I love I absolutely love Easy Star, and those albums are still with Easy Star. You know, yeah. we still have it. We still have a deal together, and they're they're selling those records and stuff. And uh, Easy Star is it was a huge part of me learning the music biz and learning what good business is because of how translucent and how good they are with, with their accounting and just everything is just really done really well. Um, so that said, um, that was awesome. But I had gotten to a point where I was – I felt like um, I had another option with this other label and I had some issues with – I had felt like I was – I wasn't – I was investing – and I didn't feel like I was getting a return on my investment, but I seen them getting a return on their investment. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then, absolutely. And I just felt like if it was a real partnership deal that it could have been structured better. And um, uh, I just – it just finally got to a point where I had a better option to go with and um, I ended up going with Mailboat Records. Right. And instead of a master license sort of 50-50 license deal, this was a distribution deal, 80-20, and um, – it's just a, it's a better working relationship. I don't owe Millboat a bunch of money, and that's sort of the thing that with with Easy Start just seemed like I just owed them money. It's <laughs> just a perpetual yeah, cycle yeah, of paying yeah, them back. Yeah, it just yeah. seemed like I owed them a lot of money, and and that it, partly my blame too. It's where I was and stuff, but uh, um, 
you know, just and also, man, I'm a big believer in changing things up and being yeah. flexible and sort of expanding what you're doing. And Shake moving. it up a little yeah, bit. Well, yeah. Well, you know, you do you do what you think you want to do, and then you refine it. Yeah. You know, and, and you keep Agreed. on moving forward, and that's how you make progress. So now, the the you had more music, more family was the first record on the new label. Yeah. Right. That was 2015. Now, the newest one that just came out in June, I think, was Lessons and Blessings. Correct. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that album. Walk me through that process. Lessons and Blessings. Yeah. So um, Lessons and Blessings uh, was released this summer and uh, it's a collection of songs um, that is very dear to my heart, even more so than any other album that I've done. Uh, my wife was a big part of this album, and now she uh, wrote a song on there. She wrote right? over yeah. half of the song. Really, we, we co-wrote those together. Wow! So that is yeah, super man, cool. that and must what, have been a cool process. And we've to been do, together yeah. twenty years, and I didn't know she was a songwriter. <laughs> so <laughs> she, I remember I read that she just kind of it just kind of happened sort organically. Of happened. Yeah. You know, it happened on the on right in the middle of of she got diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. Wow. And it was a pretty pretty rough diagnosis. She something had something called a triple negative. Triple right? negative BRCA one. It was a really aggressive type of cancer, and it was a serious situation where everything in our life went on hold. Wow. Music not doing it. We're just freaking out because we didn't have insurance, and we had to figure that whole world out. And uh, here we are, a year and a half from, or yeah, a year and a half past when she first got diagnosed, and she's had um, surgery and. Mm. Uh, chemo and radiation and she's uh, we're, she's about to have another surgery Man. but through this whole process of you know of her having to deal with the idea of mortality and sort of having everything that that cancer diagnosis brings about you know the thoughts of of not of your children losing you and sure. like all of those things that you have that we probably should think about more often really you know switch something inside of her I mean, she uh, she sort of has had this major life change, and for the better, she she wouldn't she wouldn't change it for the world. And a part of that healing process and that switch was her being able to have a voice and expressing herself through words and through songs. And this just stuff just started coming out. She would say in the morning, she's like, "I got another idea for a song," and so we would work through that song. And it ended up, I think it was a major part of the, the, the healing of our whole family because in that, another amazing thing that happened in this last year and a half is that not only was she healing up by releasing all of this emotional stuff and having this outlet of creativity. Sure. But um, we were inspired to, to put our whole family on a new health regimen and I've lost 120 pounds. You look fantastic, um, my friend. You do. I, I, I noticed I, that. You know, it was my, amazing. I, you know, I was pre-diabetic, pre-hypertension, asthma, all, all kinds of wow. autoimmune disease and everything's gone away. And That's amazing. So through, through cancer research and through finding out about fasting and diet changes – We've really been able to like just change our lives, and it feels so much better. It feels, um, you know, it's just it, it just feels so different, and it's yeah. wild how that all started through this, you know, devastating diagnosis. Right, and, and it just that's it the just, way it happens. Unfortunately, you know? yeah, a lot of times <laughs> that's know? that's the way it works. As you get this hor objectively horrible news, and, and it, I mean, and sometimes it does help change things for I, the better. But. I think, you know, I think it's all it's all your reaction and the sure. way that you look at it. But I think 99.9% .9 of the times when something horrible or bad is happening in your life, in the end, there's going to be, it's, it's for 
a good reason. Sure. And there, I'm not for a good reason, but the good is going to come out of it. Some, there is, there is light at the end of that tunnel. Yeah. There I mean, is. because, you know, I mean, the range of emotions that we have to deal with and just, just like, just the fact of like taking a good look at mortality and that, that we're all heading in the same direction. You know, people come up to us, oh, we're so sorry. You know, and what I say to them is, hey, I love you. Thank you for those words. But, you know, I think we should all be thinking about that we're all headed in the same direction. And, right. that, you know, it's like that's one of the biggest things about this experience that we've realized is that everybody's going through something. It's either someone's mom. And I'm not talking about just cancer. I'm talking about all of the suffering that human beings experience. You know, it could be every, and everybody's going through it or they're about to or they're just coming out of it. And um it's just it's just made us feel so much more connected and realize that the only value in our opinion at this point it might change the only value in this life that's worth anything that has real value is our relationships yeah you know, i agree that's it that's yeah. it and that simplified that one sort of shift simplified so many things for us of like you know that's what's essential What's essential is to honor and to respect our relationships and realize the ones that, you know, we should be in and the ones that we shouldn't be in and how, how, how we're, you know, going about this whole thing. Right. You know, there's so many weird, uh, I don't know, but it's <laughs> get, like, no, yeah, get, yeah. man, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's been deep. It's been really heavy. So, and that, that's what created open eyes and, you know, I mean, less, excuse me, lessons and blessings. Right. But, uh, it's. It's it was crazy because we said, hey, you know, as these songs, I was like, man, we're going to have an album by, you know, Christmas. And sure enough, you know, I recorded it at home. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I noticed farm. one of the things that I, I really enjoyed when I think was with Lassie Die. I don't know if you incorporated this into any other of the albums was the open air, like sort of the the non-tracked, non-isolated recording sessions. Yeah. Um, that have sort of fallen to the wayside. Um what did that teach you as far as like, as, uh, I mean, what did, I guess not as much teach you, but like what, what did that show you as an artist when you're able to just go into a room and record everything in that, man, that context? Man, I mean, for me, it was like, it's a, it's about, <clears throat> that's all inspired by a, a mentor of mine, Rob Ferboni, who's a iconic music producer, engineer. And that comes from just being able to like create a, an environment to where you can, uh, prioritize the feeling of something. Right. So it's like, and there's guys that can go into an isolation booth and, and crank it out with the feeling of things and, and maintain that. But a lot of times, like the more natural environment, um, the more whole moments, you know, less edited stuff, just it's like the difference between an old, old, uh, you know, shot on a camera versus something that's been edited on Instagram. Right. It's like, right. Uh, there's just something, it's like shooting with film versus mystical. a digital yeah, yeah. There's something mystical about that film that that's like a real moment in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so I think it's also it's a lost it's a lost art form. You know, I I have my film camera pretty much everywhere I go, and there for me there's something way more fulfilling artistically when I look at these images. They may not be the best, they may not be perfect or whatever, but there's something intrinsically there's an intrinsic value to this that I can and attach to this. There's something great about the limit 
Yeah. Like, it's, like, I it, can't – I can only yeah, use yeah, so much on this. Is, yeah, that's that, it. That's it. it. And that that is – I love that style of recording. Yeah. And it, 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 it faces us to be on it, – it sort of makes us be honest and say, you know, this is where I'm at. Right. This right. is the moment. This is what I – this, this is, is who I am. You yeah. know, this is the day when I had five shows before and I could barely sing and, um, you know, that's how it sounded. <laughs> you know, or whatever. It's like there's something – It's we've gotten to a world where everybody, you know, everything so plastic and perfect and yeah i think people want dirt i think people want <laughs> people, grimy man yeah i think it, yeah. you know the, the the perfect's only interesting for like just just a wee bit of time but like you know the, the broken and not perfect and real and i just think that's so attractive that's just my my take on it so the song you're going to play for us today is called Open Eyes. So um, Open Eyes was written uh, last November. Me and my wife were heading to the doctor's office uh, for a, a post-surgery checkup. And we were sort of bouncing, sort of, we were just talking about how crazy life is and how complex um, these changes are. And just when you think you know something, everything can just change like that. And it just changes your whole world. So it started as a joke, and we're like, I'm going to do a Willie Nelson vibe. You know? <laughs> and the more I learn, the less I know. And then it went from there. By the time we got to the doctor's office, we both knew that this song was real and that there was – it was like – it was just – it was we were feeling it, man. So um, this has been a really special song for us because it was like – started as a joke, and just so much truth for us came out of it. The more I learn, the less I know Y'all heard that line before Confusion laid its claim on me Open eyes but still can't see Breathing in and freaking out Is my cycle there's no doubt Confusion laid its claim on me Open eyes but still can't see I said, oh man, I gotta get out of my head, friend I gotta get out of my way I said, oh man, I gotta get out of my head, friend I gotta get out of my way Organize my thoughts aloud Packed and wrapped for any crowd This gets a cab, might take my breath I can't count the words that I have left I said, oh I gotta get out of my head, friend I 
y'all heard that line before Confusion laid its claim on me Open eyes but still can't see Confusion laid its claim on me What's been the biggest takeaway from all of this? Man, um, that, that, you know, that, that when I think back to being that 11 year old, 10 year old kid with that, you know, flame and that sort of knowing that I, that I wanted to, to do this for a living is like following that voice. So if you know what you love to do, your bliss, what makes you feel inspired and makes you present in the moment, if you know that, that truly follow that because it's led me on a, an amazing adventure across the world, meeting all kinds of different people. And I, um, I feel s super successful and my success is defined by me. And it's not, you know, and it, it, it comes from that kind of mindset of like, you know, paving your own path and not being afraid to follow your heart, follow your dream. It's a special thing when you know what you love. You know, so that's yeah. that's that's still the biggest lesson and, and sort of just reaffirmed all of my um, sort of I'm a, I'm a big Joseph Campbell follower and sort of the whole follow your bliss thing. When I first read Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, it just resonated with me. Star Wars. I see your Star Wars. Story. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know about Joseph Campbell. Um, so he inspired he inspired the story and George Lucas really? studied a lot with Joseph Campbell. Really? I'll have and to look it, that. Yeah. It's such a beautiful thing. And just about, you know, these sort of archetypes of human, human mythology and, and how, you know, humans have these, these same experiences and, um, you know, having a calling, right? We all have a calling, but not all of us answer it. And I just, I just have learned that man, when you hear the calling, answer it brother. Cause the adventure's great. Yeah. It's great. It's a great life, man. That's that's what everybody wants, you know. Yeah. And they don't realize that it's taking that leap and taking that jump and like, you know, just, just going, going for, for it, it. Yep. going for it. And yeah, be smart, <laughs> refine what you do, you know, be as smart as you possibly can. But there's going to come a time when that decision doesn't feel safe, and you're going to have to make it anyways. <laughs> It's like you just gotta have to do it. Yeah, you have yeah. to do it. Once you commit to something, you have to go forward because you, yeah. you don't have any other choice. Yeah. If you, cause you can't I mean, it's, fail. It's it's it. I, I that's the way it's worked for me, man. And I, it's it's worked out pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I constantly, I still have struggles, and it's not about sure. not having struggles. It's about being alive. It's about being able to be present. It's about developing new neural networks in your mind because you're having new experiences. Right. And you're able to feel life. Yeah. You know. So. Follow your bliss, people. Cass Haley, thank you so much for doing this. this. Like I said, this is an unbelievable honor for me, for you to sit down and talk with me. Where can people find out more information about you and your, your tour you're on right now, right? Yeah, you have a tour yeah, coming yeah. Up. So yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're, we're on the road um, right now. You can check out uh, CassHaley.com for info on that. And we're going to be on the road pretty much uh, through uh, 2020. So we're going to, you know, we, we space it out a couple weeks at a time, but... Uh, we're really trying hard to stay out on the road. So if you want to come hang out and see us do our thing, the whole family tours, my kids, they play on stage with us too. You can check out CassHaley.com. 
and come see us. I want to give a quick thank you to Mr. Jake Summers, extraordinaire producer from Homeroom Studios in Philadelphia, uh, for having us uh, sit here with him today. Thanks again to Cass Haley for coming out to talk to us. Um, all the information for his, uh, his upcoming tour and his records will be on CassHaley.com. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and produced by Adam Barnard. Additional production and narration provided by Sam Kreps. The show was mixed and engineered by Carl Pinnell. Our intro and outro music was performed and produced by Dumb Ugly. Additional musical accompaniment provided by Enrichment. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Follow us on Twitter at FND Radio Pod and find our entire archive at foundationradio.net. This has been a Butts Carlton Media Production. Butts Carlton, proprietor.